0: You're listening to The Promise of Personalized Medicine, brought to you by AccessDx. This is a show for the lab professionals and medical directors who bring forward novel diagnostic tests to advance modern medicine. Let's dive into the conversation.
1: Hey, this is Perry Demas. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I have Linda with me this morning. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about, I don't know, I'm going to throw her with some loops, uh, loopy questions to see if she uh, is nimble on on her toes. So Linda, why don't you first just tell us a little bit about yourself as a physician, what interested you in that, and then eventually as a physician executive.
2: I started my career as a nurse and then really wanted to go further. So I went back to medical school later in life and... Uh, was interested in primary care and then hospice and then I really wanted to see the other side of medicine and went to the payer side. and more, most recently was a chief medical officer for a large payer.
1: That's great. That's pretty unique though, isn't it, to start as a nurse and then my words, saw the doctors and said, I can be better than these folks.
2: Well, I didn't want to say that exactly, but, um, you know, I I actually had a master's in nursing and so I was an advanced practice nurse in OBGYN and that's what I thought I wanted to do was to go back into that field. But when you get into training, it really depends on who you work with and who your mentors are. And, um, and I think there's, it's not totally unheard of, but I didn't find too many nurses. Most nurses stay in the field.
1: Yeah. And then with your background with OBGYN, which is interesting because we like to talk about, you know, the promise of personalized medicine and really in women's healthcare care, that has really been the area where it's been uh, taken a hold a lot more than other areas. So especially for like non-invasive prenatal testing and things like that, where, you know, simple blood test can take over amniocentesis and things like that. So when you look at women's health care and the development of personalized medicine, what do you see with that?
2: You know, it's been a long time since I've been in the field, and uh, I was in a Medicare population, so (laughs) needless to say. But, I mean, what great strides. I mean, you know, better outcomes. Um, In some cases, obviously, we have a maternal mortality problem in this country. But just the least uh, the less invasive the test, the easier it is, the closer surveillance and, you know. I think
1: it's been great. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And then, um, you know, when when companies launch these novel diagnostics here in the United States, they really strive to address an unmet clinical need, right, hopefully. And in the past, we've been told by other medical directors that that is crucial to really address something that, you know, no one else is addressing. Um, How do you see that playing out or not seeing that playing out?
2: You mean the new technologies coming through? Yeah. I, I, I think it's so exciting. I mean, just what we've seen here and um, more recently uh, the tests that are easier to use, more cost effective, reduce invasive tests. I mean, every, every test has complications. And there's, you know, hospitalizations, increased cost, uh, patient morbidity, mortality, suffering. So I, I think it's exciting. I guess you just really have to figure out which ones really do the trick I mean they have to reduce mortality they have to be um, ease of use uh, accessible and cost effective so yeah. Um, yeah
1: you brought ease of use which is uh, interesting because over the last few days I've heard a lot about uh, member satisfaction being really important these days for health plans they just want to make sure that the members or all of us are satisfied with the uh, uh, I guess the health care and Uh, the program that they, or the product that they have. So when you think of member satisfaction, and then I'll throw in like prior authorizations, uh, tell us a little bit about like the why behind prior authorizations first.
2: Uh, Medical necessity. I mean, if you're going to do a procedure, it needs to be medically necessary, uh, which which makes it more cost-effective, but most importantly, it makes it better for the member. I mean, again, I just said, every procedure has its risks. And there's a lot of unnecessary procedures. And pretest probability of doing a test has to be there. You know, if you do 100,000 cardiac catheterizations and 99% are normal, then probably many of those didn't need to be done. So that's the reason. I know that on the physician side, it would be a hassle on the primary care world. Um, when I was on that side, it was an irritant. Having been on this side of the fence, on the payer side, I see how really, really important it is to protect patients, improve quality, and a lot of times it's not done with any uh, malintent by the physician. Either that, you know, physicians are busy; they don't always keep up with things. But there are the bad apples who are doing too many procedures because it's um, it's better for their pocketbook. So I mean, it serves a lot, but most importantly, I think it's best for the patients because then they don't get unnecessary procedures. Yeah. And the cost of medicine in the United States is, I mean, more than anywhere else in the world, and we're not best in outcome. You
1: know, so. That's a great point. Yeah, so really, it's a, a, a as you see it, a necessary uh, thing prior authorizations just to ensure that um, the test or procedure or whatever that's being ordered is necessary for that individual person.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, it's certainly a cost thing. But again, it's, you know, there's so much overdiagnosis. I mean, everybody who has a CT scan that doesn't need one has an incidental oma that then requires, you know, a year of follow up to make sure whatever it was doesn't grow. Doesn't, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, we're really over assessing in some cases. So yeah, I think it's really important.
1: Yeah. Do you think the uh, legal aspects come into play when we're over assessing, as you said?
2: You know, in in what sense? I mean, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, if you've got a nodule on a CT scan and you don't do anything about it, um, I think probably too much so. Um, But again, I don't think people, I don't know how many doctors really do everything they do because of the medical legal aspect. I didn't. I just did it because I didn't want to miss anything on a patient. I I just didn't want to have a bad outcome. You know, and, and as a doctor, I knew what my patients needed better than anybody else, but, you know, you can't keep up with every single discipline and all the cutting edge. So I think we need to help physicians to make sure that they're keeping up with exactly what the new technologies are, when it's needed, when it's not needed, and we can do that through Yeah. Physician education
1: is a big component. And physician education is really crucial just because uh, we're moving so quickly, right? No one is able to keep up with the literature or the guidelines or whatever. So you really do see a health plan's a part of their role is to help the physician um, stay current and make sure that they're like, okay, here's when this should be ordered.
2: Yeah, and these, are, when I say physicians, I know, these are great physicians. These are busy physicians and primary care, they're jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, it's hard to keep up with everything. So, I mean, when we look at quality of care issues and you know some of the CMS star measures and things like that, we really have to help physicians understand why these are mandated, the science behind it, the data, because nobody has time to look up all this information. So, yeah, yeah, I think physician education is a I'm not sure how many on the other side feel that way, but I think it is certainly uh, physicians learn over time.
1: It is a um, potential friction point, if you will, with physicians. And, um, you know, the AMA is adamantly out there trying to... um, limit prior authorizations if you will and i get that right because they're looking out for their constituents the physicians and the physicians are saying this is a burden Um, so if we look in if you look into your crystal ball or the future like how would you like to see prior authorizations done in the future that benefits the patient doesn't burden the provider the ordering physician but at the end of the day the right things are getting done
2: information exchange Hmm. You know, I mean, everybody has a different EMR, they don't talk to each other, you know, people are still faxing things into some black hole in an insurance company and they don't, you know, so I think when you have a prior auth and you know you need A, B, and C and you can deliver that quickly um, through a connected, um, you know, health information system, then prior auth will get much easier. And I I, I think that's really happening. I know in, in areas that I've worked before, I mean, that's people don't want to hassle physicians. And one of my roles was to say, you know, I've got a patient in the operating room and I didn't get the approval. Can you help me? And, you know, you find out that the front office didn't send the... You know, I mean, so it just needs to be streamlined. And, again, information exchange uh, and rapid information exchange so that patients can get what they need when they need it. And you have to work on physician schedules, too. I mean, you can't just say, well, you know, sorry. I mean, you've got one day to operate and the patient needs the surgery. So, you know, we, we really, really, at least in my company, tried very hard to make sure that it was not as much of a hassle as sometimes it can be yeah. yeah
1: it's just kind of funny because you said the f word fax and no and no one no one else no other industry talks about faxes anymore yet here we are right and we fax in healthcare still it's just it's, it's and unfortunate we've,
2: we've, uh, you know i know i know many in the healthcare industry are getting rid of their fax numbers you know and um and then, you know, you constantly ask doctors for charts, the same chart, for multiple different reasons. And so to have a repository where you can find that chart and not ask the office for it, you know, again and again and again. I mean, things like that, that's where the hassle factor comes in and, you know. And if you've got somebody, and you talked about ease of use, and I'm, not, I'm talking about system ease of use. I mean, if somebody's in rural America, drive 60 miles to get their test, and the power off, with, I mean, you know, it's not just the physician. I mean, think about the poor patient who's prepped for a colonoscopy, <laughs> you know, and, and gets there and it wasn't approved or in the right location or whatever. So, I mean, it's, it's incumbent upon everybody to work together to streamline this process for, and, and particularly the patient, obviously, is the one who ends up suffering, even though we deal back and forth with physicians and, you know,
1: yes. If I prep for a colonoscopy, <laughs> I'm getting my colonoscopy. <laughs> I'm not going through that again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, it, it will be, and I think we're making strides towards streamlining, making it more efficient, m- making more information and data flow easier. Yeah. And that's really what this is all about, right? right?
0: Once a quarter, AccessDx gathers a group of medical directors to advise laboratory innovators and to stay current on the ever-evolving trends in medical advancements. We would love to partner with more medical directors so that you can influence the next generation of modern medicine. If you're interested, please send a quick email to info at accessdx.com and connect with us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com company accessdx. And now back to the show.
1: So my next um, set of questions kind of goes with that. And it's, you know, the buzzword these days of price transparency. So when I say price transparency, first of all, what what does that mean to you? Or define that for us.
2: That when I go to the hospital, to the doctor's office, for whatever I'm going to have done, I want to know when I come out, I'm out this much money. You know, is it my my copay is it my deductible, is it my, you know, I mean, um, is it that the anesthesiologist wasn't on my plan and I'm going to get, you know, a million dollar bill, you know, I mean, and again, where I worked, I mean, we had a lot of uh, uh, websites where you can go and look and the cost of a knee should be this and the cost of a, you know, knee replacement and this is what you should be paying. But again, you know, with contracting and and different facilities all having different contracts and different pricing, I mean, it becomes a a little bit more than you think because bigger facilities may have different rates than smaller facilities. And so it's difficult, but it's really, really important. And, you know, some of the things that um, assistant surgeon bills and... Things that you don't even anticipate. But I think mostly it's it's lab bills that you don't expect. You think if you're going to get a pap smear that that's taken care of in your bill, but it isn't, then you get a lab bill. And then if you have a knee and you get the anesthesiologist, you know, I mean, it's, it's, people just don't know what they're going to end up. The bills keep coming trickling in, you know, for weeks after a procedure, especially if you're really been, had a major event in your life.
1: Well, if you have a major event, you're going to get reams of paperwork, mail coming to you and... Even those people that are in the industry and knowledgeable, it's confusing. So the normal person, yeah. they don't I, know.
2: I, I've been in the industry for a long time, and um, yeah, it's tough. And I guess if you had a catastrophic illness, you're going to hit your deductible, and you're out of pocket pretty quickly, so maybe it's even less. But it's the people that you know, haven't met their deductible. I mean, anybody wants to know where their money's going. And I don't really think we've gotten there yet. I think I think I know the payer I work for is really working on that because we also want pe- people to be able to choose. So if I go to hospital A and have a total knee replacement, I'm going to be this much out of pocket and if I go here, I'm going to be this much out of pocket. So I'm going to choose here. And that's how we you know drive down prices hopefully is by consumer. I mean, we need consumers to dictate where they're going to go and what they think is a fair price by letting them know where they can get the procedures for the
1: best. So So
2: highest quality, lowest cost.
1: Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, comparable services, of course,
2: and that's what we're trying to do. And that's hard. As I said, it's harder because there's different price structures and and things like that. But you know, the industry has been moving, um, MRIs and surgery out of, out of the hospital because the cost in, a, in an inpatient facility is so much higher than freestanding. and So there's lots of work in, in the prior office space on moving faith folks from inpatient to outpatient because an ambulatory surgical center is so much less expensive. And oftentimes the physicians who practice in them have their own staff they have lower, in I mean, they know they, they've got everybody trained to do the procedures that they do. And so it's actually, that's where they want to go. That's where the patients want to go. So, you know, it's really trying to move to best quality, most cost-effective and best patient experience. I like guess AAA is, you know.
1: Yeah. So patient experience and then equipping the patient or the consumer with information so that he or she can make a decision, of course, with a physician, right, Um, of like, well, I'd like to go to this site of service, or um, can I have my lab test go here uh, to this lab rather than this one, because quite frankly, it's going to be cheaper for me. Right,
2: and and doctors don't keep track of who what patient has what? Insure. I mean, they're they're payer agnostic, right? And you know, no matter what lab you use or whatever, I mean, physicians do what they do, and they don't really always know um, what patient has services that are in and out of network and so forth. So, yeah, I think pay- consumers, do have to really get much better about um, what their benefits are and where they can go, and work in conjunction with a physician. And I've had physicians say, "Well, where do you want to have your surgery?" And I'll say, "Well," You know, I want to go to the most cost-effective place that you feel is the best for me. And if I choose to go someplace more expensive because I think that's more common, then let that be my choice. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and, and not a payer's or a physician's. It needs to be my choice.
1: Right, right. Or if it's a joint decision with um, the patient and the physician, like, well, Perry, I would like for you to go here because, you know, they get better outcomes or, or oh, whatever. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Now I know, right? Absolutely. But I know that, you know, that's a choice and it's going to cost me more or whatever, but, uh, you inform me, I, and it goes back to like the no surprises, uh, bill, right. Where, um, you know, I don't think DC does much, anything good these days, you know, with the government, but at least that's one thing that they put forth right with saying, Hey, you can't just have surprises to all of us as patients, as consumers. Um, and it's unknown bill. And also are getting like, Holy cow, Um, so I think some of
2: the, I mean, some of the bills, the, you know, which is why balanced billing is,
1: yeah. I mean, I think that we're trying, I think we will address that with our ability to, uh, with a no surprises bill. And I think to have a tool to help physicians work with the patients directly of understanding what things cost and alternatives choice, like you said, right. That would be the goal.
2: But that would be the goal. But the physicians, I mean, you know, we want them to check the pharmacies, you know, your benefit has a different um, pharmacy drug list than mine. I mean, it's a lot for physicians to, I mean, you know, it it is a lot to ask for the docs. But I think, again, if consumers are educated and they can help the docs and say, listen, I know the medicine you're prescribing for me and it's great, but is there anything cheaper because this is as much at the pharmacy? Docs don't always know that. But, I mean, to get consumers into the decision-making process and the choices, because, you know, if, if Hospital A is losing all their knees or hips or whatever to hospital B, maybe they'll change. You know what I mean? Maybe, I mean, I think consumer-driven changes in healthcare are really important, and we need to see them. So
1: So you really see that the consumers are going to drive the change more so. so.
2: Yeah, Yeah. an educated consumer.
1: Yeah, that's great. But it's hard
2: to be, I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, it's hard to look at an EOB and, you know, understand what's going on, so.
1: I've been in this industry for 20 years. When I get an EOB, I'm still confused. Honestly, yeah, yeah. you know. And God forbid my 85 year old mom gets one, I get a call. Explain this to me, Perry. Yeah,
2: <laughs> get right on that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Well, I think um, that was very insightful as far as price transparency and consumers playing a vital role uh, in. Um, educating themselves and being able to work with the physicians to make sure that uh, they're making the right choices, um, but you really feel that that's the uh, route that could be taken in the future.
2: Absolutely. If you're sitting with a physician, they go to a lab test and it's five hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars there, and you don't know it until you get the bill. I mean, you know, it's it's. I mean, you've got to protect yourself too, and. Um, Physicians just can't know all of this. I mean, they just got there's there's a lot, especially primary care. I mean, you know, they've got the whole scope of things, and I keep saying that because I'm primary care, and it's hard. I mean, if you're in a a specialty, it's a little bit easier to keep track of everything, you
1: know. Right.
2: And you have a limited pharmacy or you know armamentarium that you use, so it's a little bit easier to stay up on all of
1: it. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Enjoy the discussion. Look forward to seeing what's next
0: thanks for having me appreciate it you've been listening to the promise of personalized medicine produced by amplify podcasts and original music by jake demas to ensure that you never miss an episode subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and if you like what you've heard we would love to hear from you with a rating or a review thank you so much for listening until next time